listening to the Red Wave Report, the official free podcast for thebarkboard.com, your one-stop shop for all your Fresno State recruiting news. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. It Well, I think we are down to about 65 days or so to the next kickoff of college football. And so I'm starting to get kind of excited. But before we go any further into that, I want to go ahead and introduce my co-host, Josh Webb. Hey everybody, how's it going? Yeah, Lucio, only uh, only a little bit away, and uh, there's some major announcements coming out of Fresno State that I I feel like we can get to in spades uh, with our guest later today. That'll only increase the excitement for the coming year in football. But uh, you want to tell everybody about our super awesome guest today? Yes, uh... you know we're up in the quality of guests. <laughs> yes, uh, today's guest we have uh, Mr. Kevin McGuire. Um, and he, he's going to be talking a little more in depth about what's going on in college football with all the, the power fives and all that stuff. Um, and so let's go ahead and introduce him. And Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great guys. And first of all, you are far too kind. That was a very high praise. You're really setting the bar high. So I hope I don't uh, fall short here. Well, we have high expectations, and also we'll be giving out all your personal information if you don't live up to those expectations, because we encourage lynch mobs. (laughs) Yes, we do. uh, We really do not, uh, especially in college football. Uh, But I I, I do think that you are sort of a jack-of-all-trades, and that's why it's going to be awesome to have you on to talk about some of these things, because you've engaged in a lot of these national discussions uh, regarding Power Five and Big Five. Uh, versus the the group of five and uh you know with the news coming out that fresno state particularly today has now announced a home and home with minnesota uh an additional game with ucla i'm still curious to see if they'll keep that 2018 date in in addition to to the date that they announced in 2021 or 2022 whatever it was uh and also the addition of one alabama as barkboard first reported that the bulldogs will be traveling to tuscaloosa to take on the tide when you look around the college football landscape, and if you remove some of the, the regulars that have been doing this, like a Boise State who've been scheduling these types of opponents throughout the years, are you going to see more of this from mid-major teams coming forward? And probably more importantly, I guess the, the correct question to be asking is, are we going to see more Power 5 teams scheduling some of these mid-majors, or do you think that this is just an immediate trend that'll die off? Yeah, I'm not sure if this is a, a a suggestion of where we're heading now with scheduling. Um, you know, as far as group of five versus power five, I really I don't know if it's really all that much different. To be honest with you, from what it's been you know, ten years ago, twenty years ago, I think we're now we just have some different terminology here, and some conferences have different scheduling philosophies now. You see, in the ACC and the SEC, they have the the non power conference, or they have the power conference non conference scheduling requirement for their teams, where it's going to fill up one spot on their schedule. So, I still think you're going to see plenty of games between the power conferences and the non power conferences. I don't think that's going away anytime soon. I do feel, though, that you're going to see some of these programs from the group of five maybe be a little bit more aggressive with trying to get power conference teams on their schedule. Because if we're going to continue having some kind of divide in college football between the haves and the have-nots, and I I use those terms loosely, um, I think you're going to see a lot of programs really try to up their profile from that group of five to try and suggest that they are worthy of being in that power conference conversation of you know f- through whatever degree they need to go to whether they're trying to convince a power conference that they belong in that conference or uh, just kind of making sure that they're going to be able to to fund their programs going forward because let's be honest a lot of these games sometimes come down to just getting a paycheck um, you know I don't necessarily think that's the right way to go about it but yeah, every team needs to schedule twelve games and they need to get there somehow. It's funny that you mentioned that paycheck because when you when when I first saw the numbers uh, or when my sources told me that you know I mean, it ended up being one point four I was told one point three I mean there's re- really a hair's difference between the two of them but when you're talking about a guaranteed payout of one point three million I, I realize it's Alabama and they've got the kind of money to toss at that 
But were you a little taken aback to hear that Fresno State was going to get $1.3 million? Or is this now just a case of a new AD at Fresno State getting what they probably should have been paid for these body bag games all along? Is this more in line with what other teams of a similar ilk were being paid? You know, I think the the prices are starting to increase, and that, that's probably something that just evolves over time. You know, the cost of running a football program continues to increase, and uh, I guess you're trying to look for different ways to increase that compensation. And I, I think Fresno State is on a little bit of higher ground than you say a team from the Sun Belt or obviously the um, the uh, FCS schools, something like that. So obviously they're going to demand a little bit more of a payday from a program like Alabama to come into Tuscaloosa for a game. Um, so I think that that's part of it. I think if you have new leadership in place, that's going to really set the bar higher for your program in terms of getting that kind of pay. I think that's part of it as well. And I think that's going to be something that uh, a program like Fresno State is fully capable of doing moving forward as they talk to some other programs where they can arrange those one-game deals if they're not going to be doing home-and-home. Now, I mean, you, you've been around the game for a little bit, and, and you've sort of maybe not necessarily tracked <clears throat> Fresno State through the Hill era, but maybe we're at least familiar enough with them. When you sort of look at this new branded Fresno State that, that DeRuiter's put forth and and sort of the product that they place on the field, maybe some of those bowl, bowl games notwithstanding, but... When, when you see this new style of play that Fresno State's putting out there as opposed to the old uh, running, rushing attack, power running attack of, of Pat Hill, uh, what are your thoughts with the direction that, that Fresno State's headed? I, I mean, I guess it's not necessarily tied to scheme, but I sort of feel like scheme is the ultimate indicator of where your program's headed because if it's not working, <laughs> it's not headed anywhere. I feel like Fresno State's one of those programs that has kind of evolved with the offensive philosophies that we're seeing spread throughout the game, where they're trying to open it up a little bit more and throw it more downfield whenever possible. And you know, offense sells, and that's really a, it has become a huge part of the game. It's not necessarily the only thing you can do to win football games. I mean, just look at what happened with Baylor last year. They get left out of the the, the football playoff, and then they come up short in their bowl game. So you obviously have to have other ingredients. But I think when you look at what some of these teams are doing to continue winning some games or maybe rebranding, re, uh, reshaping the way we identify with these various programs, uh, having an offense that's going to light up the scoreboard is a way to grab attention. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think if you're going to do that, you get, put, get the right players that can fit that kind of system. Uh, you can make it work for you. And I think that that's something that Fresno State has certainly done. Like you said, I may not have been following Fresno State on a day-to-day -day basis for years, but I remember what Fresno State was. I mean, when you talk about BCS busters, it seems like Fresno State was going to be that kind of program when we went into that BCS phase. Never quite got there, but they were one of the, the first, I'm going to use the term mid-majors, to really build a national identity. Um, it never fully got to the point where we see Boise State or obviously what Utah and TCU did. But, you know, this is this is a Fresno State program that's undergone a, a complete overhaul. And I'm very interested to see where it goes from here. When you look at a guy like Bartko and, and you talk about, you know, coming from a program like Oregon, where I think for people in the know who know really what Bartko meant to that Oregon program, realized that, that he was a lot more than just an assistant AD. I'm not going to say he was more important or less important than Mullins, because I don't really know how you qualitatively assign those values. But most people in Oregon recognized Bartko's ability to get out there, network, hobnob. And since Fresno State, uh, since he's taken the Fresno State gig, we've seen these these major announcements with, with new series, stadium renovation plans, uh, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, was this really what – I mean, Fresno State fans are always interested in, in what the national perception of the program is. How do national media members see the program? Because all of the information around here is, is very locally based, and if you live in the Valley, the, the sort of and, – and, and I say this critically of the Valley. I think sometimes the, the, the onus is on the Valley to be more complimentary of the Valley than maybe sometimes they need to be. Uh but I, I, I think that that's why fans get curious about that outside perspective, because there's none of that Valley politics playing in line. What are the national expectations for what Bartko can achieve with Fresno State? And how far do you think he can take this program in his time as an AD? 
<laughs> you know, personally, I think Fresno State is fully capable of being at the same kind of national recognition level of where we see Boise State today. Uh, I think all the resources can be there at Fresno State. And certainly with some of the announcements that have come out over the past week with the, the stadium upgrades and you know all the scheduling announcements, of course, and other plans that they have for the future of this program, it seems very positive to me. Um, obviously, it all comes down to what they do on the football field before we really get to that uh, level where we're talking about Fresno State in that group of six, New Year's six, or group of five, New Year's six conversation. But I, I think there's potential there. And I think it's been there for a while. And it's really just a matter of putting all the pieces together. And I think if you have the right leadership in place, you can get to that point. And I think we're starting to see some of those bigger plans uh, be put together. And then it all comes through the recruiting. What do they do in recruiting? How do they put that develop or develop that talent to really get back on top of the, the Mountain West Conference? Again, a place I feel Fresno State is fully capable of being. Uh, and then getting to that point where they challenge uh, a Boise State or maybe a Utah State uh, for that conference crown. And then they're in that New Year's Six conversation. I don't know if it happens this year, guys. But I think, it, again, I think the potential is there for Fresno State to do some pretty exciting things. Yeah, I think the schedule this year, I'm inclined to agree with you, especially when you look at the fact that uh, uh, sources are telling Barkboard and these reports are getting heavier and heavier. Of course, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be true, but sources are really indicating to Barkboard that it's looking like Chase and Virgil could be the guy. Uh, it estimates that, that, that he's up to over 200 pounds, and if he can put on another 10-ish pounds, I think the coaching staff are leaning towards starting a true freshman. When you look at a club like Ole Miss in that second week, uh, how much faith does a program have to have in a guy? I guess this is going to be a two-part question. First off, how much faith does a program have to have in a guy to start him as a true freshman, knowing that you have Ole Miss coming up in week two? And, and and I guess the second part of this is when you look at the fact that they have Kilton Anderson and Zach Greenlee on the roster and appear like they might not be going with them, does this send a message to guys who've been in the program? I think it does. So I think if you're looking in to start some young players in very key positions with big games on your schedule, there's it tells me one of two things. It tells me, one, either you're lacking in depth at key positions and you really have no other choice – or you're looking to build something now and you're looking to get that young talent, uh, whatever experience you can early on, even if it means going up against a team that could be as good as Ole Miss will be. Uh, I don't know if Ole Miss will be quite as good as they were last year, but it's still going to be a, a very tough team for a lot, of, a lot of teams on their schedule this year. So uh, I, I look at it those ways. I think there's, there's a good philosophy to throw your young talent in there and see what they're made of and seeing how they respond to those moments of adversity uh, because you could very well face that. And what lessons do they take from that? I think that's the big takeaway. Uh, you know, you, assu you probably assume they probably lose this game, but where do they take, what do they take from that game beyond the field and beyond the scoreboard? I think that's the big key. I I'm going to ask this question from a fan here, one of our, one of our readers, Harry, and I'm going to sort of tweak what he asked. Um, when he said, you know, Fresno State's recruiting class was a little bit different this year in that we picked up a number of excellent recruits after LOI day. To me, it seems like analysts have not taken that into account. Fresno State has a couple of wide receivers who were uh, who redshirted and were being raved about when they came in. We saw them for the first time in the spring showcase. But again, these don't seem to be names that come up in, in, in major national previews. Have you personally looked at any of these things when when you write up assessments uh, of Fresno State for the coming year? And do you think that analysts take these things into account w with mid-major programs? Because I know, I mean, you and I do a little flexible, uh, fl there's a little bit of flexibility with the style of reporting that we do. And I know that uh, when I'm looking, at, when you're doing some of these previews on these smaller programs, there's only so much information out there available on them. And no matter how good your intentions may be to to be thorough, be accurate and be up to date on these programs, I think sometimes unless you live in that area, it can be damn near impossible to sort of get things right to the satisfaction that, that the local fans would like. Uh, do you personally try and do any of that in your reporting? And do you feel that this is maybe something that the national media does or doesn't do? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because uh, – 
like you said, a lot of people nationally they probably don't know too much about Fresno State's class of 2015. And you know, I'm not saying I'm uh, an exception to that by any means. Uh, but if I'm if I'm talking about Fresno State and I need to write something up about them, what I'll do is, and if, if I'm talking about some players that maybe I just don't know enough about, because I'll be honest with you, a lot of high school players, I don't really follow it that closely uh, until they're enrolled with the schools that they're going to. Uh, so I'm not too familiar with some of the recruiting aspects, but I'll go by what some of the scouts and what the scouting sites say and kind of you know use that to build something I'm thinking about a player or where they could be going. So I'll try to look at their individual recruiting uh, profiles, you know, check the check the star rankings and stuff like that, just to see what the scouts say because I'll tend to take their word for a lot of it, especially for these players that I've never seen before. Um, you know, I think because Fresno State, like you said, brought in a lot of guys after signing day, it kind of it nationally gets kind of thrown under the radar. You know, we kind of look past it because it to, on the recruiting calendar or on the, the NCAA calendar, National Signing Day is the big day. And then anything that happens after that, unless they're like a five-star player that was holding off their announcement or there was some mishap with their signing day um, announcement or something like that, it does kind of fly under the radar because then we're going right into spring football. So there's a lot of things that continue to go on in the off season, as much as you may think it's a dead time. Uh, so, you know, I try to do my research and I, I think a lot of people try to do that as well as best we can. Uh, but you know, a lot of times it falls back on what the locals actually think about their team. And, you know, if it's a little biased, so be it. You get, we'll learn eventually. Yeah. And, I think what's interesting, too, is, and I think that this is the real meat of why we wanted to have you on here. And, Lucio, I know uh, you've been given some thought to this as well, and, and you've certainly asked me some questions about it. Um, one of our listeners asked, and, and I feel like this really ties into to sort of the larger college football picture and in many ways maybe a relief from the questions I've been asking, uh, but – do you feel like these stadium and uh, upgrades, uh, newer conference or not necessarily newer conference games, but out of conference games, high power out of conference games might impact Fresno State getting into a bigger conference down the road? And one of our other listeners asked this sort of ties into that question. Do you think that there will be any sort of further conference alignment we further realignment within the next two to five years, SEC poaching ACC, ACC backfilling from elsewhere. Uh, how do you see that landscape? Let's start with the general picture first, and then we'll sort of narrow mm -hmm. it down to a more myopic Fresno State view. Yeah, let me see if I, I'll, I'll backtrack, go backwards a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think the, uh, the changes in realignment, uh, the realignment phase of college football, college athletics, I think we have really reached the ending point, at least as far as the major changes. Now, you know, obviously, this year we have Navy joining the American, uh, Charlotte's joining Conference USA, but I don't think we're going to see too many more major changes. I think the only thing that we're all keeping an eye on now, just in case, is what's going on with the Big 12. Uh, you know, obviously, 10 members, do they need to get to 12 members? I don't know. I don't think they do, but that's really the only conference where I could see anything potentially happening. I think the Big 10 is fine with their 14. <laughs> Big Ten 14. Uh, the Pac-12, I think, is fine with their 12 for now. Uh, yeah, the ACC and the SEC, I think, are situated now a couple years removed from their most recent changes, uh, respectively. And the ACC also has that Notre Dame deal. So Notre Dame's kind of interesting. Uh, I don't think they're going to be abandoning that independence anytime soon. Uh, but if, if the Big 12 wants to make some noise, I think that's the only chance we'll see. I'm just not convinced, like some may feel, that the Big 12 needs to expand to continue surviving. I think the Big 12 is actually just fine with 10 teams. I think the Big 12 is not going to do anything anytime soon, especially with the new NCAA rules that they they instituted about their their championship game. So I think they're going to be okay, and they're not going to look to jump anytime soon. So if for all those as Fresno State fans Texas thinking that's going to happen. As calling the shots in the Big 12, Lucio, I think I agree with you. Oh, yeah, it's just not going to happen. I mean, why would they want to change something that's working? Uh, and with them not having to add additional teams to have a championship game, there's no need for change. And so they're fine. As long as they can keep all their money, they're good to go. They don't need to do anything else. So I agree. for the – oh, sorry, Kevin. I, I was actually going to ask, for the Fresno State fans who are about ready to choke you – why do you agree with that sentiment? Like, why do you think that there's no need for the Big 12 to expand? Because I'm sure there's some people going, 
is this guy talking about? Explain yourself, madman. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I, the, the Big 12 is bringing in some pretty good revenue right now. Uh, they just brought in, I think, a new record revenue for the conference. And a lot of that is because of the college football playoff. There's more money to, to dole out. Uh, so each team in the Big 10 or the Big 12 is bringing in a good chunk of change. Um, there is the report that came out within the last week, I think, that suggested there could be more money if they do expand. But again, I don't know if this is something that's going to force the Big 12 to really look hard at this. I think they're just fine. I think they're, they're very profitable. It looks like they're stable now, now that they've situated the, uh, the, the third tier rights to the, the, the different programs. Uh, I think there's more control in there. More people are happy than unhappy at this point in time. And again, I don't know if there's really a need for this conference to expand because if you're going to expand, you're looking at a couple of things. You're looking at the TV markets you can get into and you're seeing how much more money that's going to bring in. Uh, looking at all the options out there, I don't think the Big 12 is a conference that's going to poach a team from another power conference. And when you look at the group of five conferences, I don't know if there are that many programs out there that the Big 12 would feel really adds a tremendous amount of value to the conference. Um, you know, Some of the teams that we've heard of, Cincinnati, Central Florida, those are nice TV markets. And if the Big 12 could have them, I'm sure that they would love to have them. But I don't know if it's something that they need to venture out to explore because I feel like they're pretty comfortable. And of all the conferences out there, there are two that really seem to have this regional conference model locked down. And that's the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and I just don't see them expanding unless they can find two members that are really going to wow everybody else in the Big 12. I just don't see it. Now, I was going to I was going to say that I was going to ask you, is Fresno State attractive enough? Should the Big 12 decide to expand uh, or, you know, is there a different team other than Boise State that would even be on their radar? I actually am going to go ahead and put forward. I'm going to add on to that and say. I don't even think Boise State would necessarily make the Big 12's cut because I truly don't think that Boise State has very much to offer outside of the football department. They are getting better in, in sports, so I don't want that to come across as a shot at, at Boise State at other sports. But I would think that, and this is again just a guess, you'd start with somebody like a BYU, wouldn't you? That... I, I agree with you with what you said about Boise State. It's not a great TV market. Yes, we all love watching Boise State football, it seems. But you know, if you're looking at TV markets, that's just not going to cut it for where the Big 12 wants to go. BYU is the, is the very interesting program because it seems like they go against everything the Big 12 membership does philosophically with the way that their universities run and the whole playing on Sundays thing, whether that's a big issue or not. Uh, it just seems like if the Big 12 wanted to expand – they probably would have done it by now, and BYU would have been in that mix. But there's just there's just something about BYU and the Big 12. It's like oil and water almost because they just don't seem to, to mesh as well as you would think that they would. Um, I think BYU is a very interesting name to follow, but I just don't know if they blend well with the Big 12 membership. As much as BYU fans may want to be thinking that, I just don't see it. And that sort of parlays into a question from another one of our listeners is where do you think that BYU ends up in a few years when their ESPN contract expires mm -hmm. and they're already experiencing budget issues? To me, I actually lived in Provo for five years. I actually went to high school in Provo not too far down the street from, from BYU. And to me, what I always found interesting about the Mormon church is the secrecy over their books, which I get, but – that doesn't play when you're trying to push that money as sort of a driving point of your athletics. It's like, hey, right. we have all of this money, but we're not going to let you look at it. How does all of that stuff in play with BYU in the long term? Yeah, honestly, I think that's it's still a big hurdle for them. And I think what's it, I'll tell you what I've told people at BYU and BYU podcast bloggers all I've, I'll tell you the same thing I've said about BYU it's a it's a great program I think they've they made a very bold decision by sticking with football independence back when they were left out of the Pac-12 uh, expansion process I think if you're looking at long-term future for BYU I honestly think that the Mountain West Conference may be the best fit for them because it's going to provide more stability than they may be able to have as uh, a football program at least um, you know, once this ESPN deal is over, I, I think ESPN would make a mistake 
letting BYU go because I do think it helps ESPN's overall you know, programming offers. I, I think getting them on Friday nights or maybe Thursday nights, I think it's I think it's a very good situation for ESPN as well as BYU. So I'm not so sure that ESPN is going to walk away from BYU, but you know if they come to that point where they decide to part ways with the program, I think you're going to be looking at BYU really struggling to find a more permanent solution. And if the Big 12 is not coming to come calling, I think the Mountain West Conference would, I think they would be doing well to bring BYU back into the fold if they can make that work. I think that would be a, a good situation for BYU as well as the conference. I think it'd be interesting to see how, how BYU would play that because right now, both mm-hmm. monetarily and sort of a, I guess you could say based on most recent results, too. Uh, Boise State is very clearly at the top when you talk about ESPN payouts, television contracts, the sort of money that they receive. There's a lot. Uh, Fresno State fans take umbrage with this, and, and I do, too. I actually, you know, on, on the Mountain West Conference call, I actually asked the conference commissioner if there were any plans for them to sort of alter these payout structures and seeking something maybe on a more equitable uh, uh, level. Do you find when you look, I mean, based on what you know uh, about some of these contracts, is Boise State making too much compared to the rest of the Mountain West? uh, Or is that about what you see when you look at teams who are at the top of their individual leagues? I think if you're going to be paying different members a different amount based on their national exposure, I think Boise State's probably deserving of a little bit more because they are getting more national pub and they they have gone out and played some of those more you know, marquee spotlight games uh, whenever possible. And I think if you're if you look at how the conference is branded and advertised, it seems like Boise State gets a lot of the pub. And again, that has to do with their success on the field over the last you know, you know, five, ten years, whatever it's been, going back under Chris Peterson. Uh, that program has come a long way. So when they flirt with the Big East to go there and then they work out the new deal to, to stay in the Mountain West, they made sure that they were going to capitalize on it. So I think it was pretty much justified at that point in time. But if you're going to go forward as a conference, I think the Mountain West needs to take a real close look at how the Big 12 supposedly near crumbled because of the way that they they handled the, the different uh, revenues, uh, revenue payouts and stuff like that. So I don't think it's unprecedented. I think the ACC may have some different payouts as well. Uh, for uh, maybe Florida State and Clemson. I think that's based on some uh, national exposure as well. But I think if you're the Mountain West Conference, you're going to want to find a way to make more people happy. And I think if you're going to stay as one conference without any hassles going forward, I think that's a very wise lesson to be learned, I think. And I guess that that all ties into when you're looking at sort of what's out there in the college football landscape. Uh, there, there's some cautionary tales, you know, we bring up things like BYU and sort of uh, how these conferences can expand and collapse based on payouts and revenue streams. And one of our listeners wanted to know on a broad scale, do you see any sort of contraction of teams in the near future? Not necessarily like UAB, which I understand to be mm-hmm. primarily political and they'll be coming back, but perhaps other programs whose models simply aren't sustainable for major college football. This could include shuttering programs altogether or dropping down to an FCS level. Yeah, there are two programs in particular that I'm going to keep a close eye on over the next couple of years. Um, Idaho is a program that kind of scares me at this point. You know, they were left. You know, they were one of the last couple teams left in the the crumbling whack. Uh, didn't get invited to the Mountain West and had to float as an independent before lining up with the Sun Belt. And I think you can look at Idaho and Boise State, and they're on completely different playing fields right now. So I'm worried about Idaho's future. The other program that I could be seeing some changes real soon is UMass, uh, who is, I believe, in their final year as an associate member in the MAC. And no conference seems to really have much interest in UMass. And I think that that's probably a, a unfortunate for UMass because I know they worked hard to try and get to the point where they're playing FPS football. But I just don't view them as an FPS program. And they've got some problems that they have to deal with. So I'm very curious to see where they go in 2016 and beyond. And I've suggested that maybe the best thing for UMass is actually to go back down to the FCS. But that's just one of those moves where... It would be a little bit of a humbling experience for the leaders at those programs, and there would be some serious questions to answer, but they're just not cutting it at this level. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate. Um, 
I don't know if we'll see any program shut down like UAB was. Like you said, that seemed more political than anything else. But uh, I can't say anything is an impossibility at this point. Because, as I said earlier, as we have more of a divide between the haves and the have-nots, it's going to be tough for some programs to really continue sustaining their programs for uh, an extended period of time. So they're going to have to rely a lot on these conferences going forward. And you know, some are not going to be able to make it sometimes. So I think some hard decisions are probably going to have to be made somewhere. But I'm not so sure we're going to see too many casualties anytime too soon. Now, um, One of the things that I thought was curious – sorry, Lucio, go ahead and jump in no, there and then I'll ask mine. Well, I was going to say uh, a while back there was a couple – there was rumors on a couple of Mountain West schools. Yeah, thank um, you. That's exactly what I was going to ask. Uh, I think one was San Jose Hawaii. State and, and, the other one is, and the other one is Hawaii. Now, where mm-hmm. do those two programs stand? I know Hawaii is having all kinds of issues because they want to – the coaching staff wants to upgrade their facilities and all this, and the university is just not having anything to do with it. Um, and San Jose has always had trouble filling their stadium. So where do those two programs land in all of this? Yeah, and I'll admit, I, Hawaii was an oversight. I should have mentioned them as well because that is a program that it's, it's just weird. Uh, you know, with the way that they have to schedule teams, uh, the, the way that they have to uh, schedule as many games as they do, that travel expense has to be brutal for Hawaii. And I don't know. I mean, it's real tough for them because they need to play so many games that are going to guarantee a certain payout like we were talking about earlier. And there's only so many games that you can fit on a schedule in a certain year. So it's real tough for them. But uh, Hawaii is another program I would be concerned about. And like you said, there were rumors before that there was something that was probably under discussion. So I don't know if anything really materialized from that yet or not. But uh, that is a program to keep an eye on. San Jose State, though, I think he's going to find a way to survive. I really do. Um, you know, being in California probably is a benefit, but you still do need to pack some seats in the crowd. But you know what? I don't think the attendance issues that we're seeing in college football, we make a lot about them. But really, the TV revenue can make up for the loss that you have in attendance. And I think if you're in the Mountain West Conference, you probably are going to have a little bit of a leg up compared to some t- programs in another conference like the Sun Belt that gets no TV exposure pretty much. So I think being in the Mountain West alone is a benefit to a program like San Jose State and Hawaii. But again, moving forward, if you're going to continue to be stabilized, you probably are going to want a little bit more of a even distribution if you can make that happen. You know, I, I, I actually agree with you on San Jose State, and I also think that from a recruiting perspective, and I know this isn't necessarily your thing, but from a recruiting perspective, San Jose State's done well in the past couple of years, and generally you don't see that on programs that are about to shutter the doors. And the reason for that is, if nothing else, the recruits talk. They talk to each other. Leading up to UAB's shutting down, you didn't hear a whole lot about kids wanting to go there because people knew it was an unsaid thing behind the scenes. When you look at all of that stuff, I got to ask, man, what's the best business model moving forward? What should some of these mid-major programs focus on doing and how can they – and this is going to be a complicated question, but how can they ensure success in the current system while at the same time aiming for long-term stability? Because I feel like those two things are really at war with one another right now. Yeah, it really does seem like that. And I don't know if there's a perfect solution out there. And if I were in charge of a program, you know, I, would, I guess I would start with the scheduling. And I would try to schedule a game against a power conference opponent, hopefully a big name like Alabama or maybe Notre Dame or something like that, where you're going to get a nice paycheck on a yearly basis. If you can schedule two of them, that's great. Uh, but you do need to get some home games, too. <laughs> and that's always a problem when you talk about the power conference team. So. Uh, I don't know where you go with that, but I think you need to focus on improving what you have. Uh, If you don't have the resources, you need to find a way to have the resources so that you can recruit and you can support your coaches in the efforts that they need to be doing off the field, which obviously is huge. Like you said, recruits talk, and if they have nothing but bad things to say about their visits to your program – you have a problem, and you need to find a way to address it. Um, you know, maybe you take a loss in the in the budget for a couple of years, but if it's going to help improve your program's long term future, uh, it's probably a wor- a risk uh, a risk worth taking. Uh, so uh, every every program has got a different way to go about it. I don't know if there's a concrete 
uh, proven way that works for every program. And it, it probably varies by region. It probably varies by conference. But uh, that's something that it's going to be very interesting to watch. With the, the whole topic of autonomy and uh, all these benefits that these power conference schools are going to get uh, to give to their players, you're seeing you're seeing other conferences say, hey, we can offer the same kind of things. Well, you need to go out and prove that you can. And that's always something that can be a challenge for some schools. So if, you've, if you can improve what you have to offer, uh, you're probably going to be okay. Well, how about, how about this? How, how about I, I beat a dead horse, Josh? I know you're going to kill me for this one. <laughs> yeah. um, but how about those rumors a couple of years ago about the Mountain West combining with the Conference USA? What is yeah? Is that even a possibility anymore? Is that just a pipe dream that's just gone now? I was going to ask something maybe similar and say: <laughs> Is there a possibility in the future where you see the absolute like in the event that like as you said, these teams don't join? Uh, uh, there's no reason for the Big Twelve to expand. So let's say Boise State gets left out. That's going to be unacceptable to them based on their success. Is there a plan in the future whereby some of these all-time quote-unquote greats from these mid-majors? coalesce to form one viable power conference is that an option or is that too geographically widespread i think it might be a little far-fetched i mean i like your thinking i like your outside the box thinking i really do and i I support that all the time but i i think i think we're probably at a point where these conferences are going to stick to their own guns and they're going to figure out the best way to get their conference represented in that new year six going forward you know, if they can get into the playoff, that'd be awesome. But I don't know how soon or realistic we're going to be talking about that. But um, I think everybody's going to compete against each other as far as this group of five is concerned. And I don't know if we're necessarily ever going to see a full split where we see these power conferences go off and govern their own separate game from what the group of five is left playing with. I don't think it's ever going to get that bad uh, because I do feel at some point power conference teams are going to need group of five teams to really make everything work out well uh, because I don't think any team from the Big Ten or the SEC is going to want to schedule 12 straight games against power conference opponents. I, I, I just don't think that that's going to happen as much as some people might want to see it. I just don't think it's a I don't think it's a realistic scenario. So I don't think we'll ever see a full split where we're going to see uh, the Mountain West and the American and Conference USA. I don't think we're ever going to see them in that kind of situation where they're really desperate to make something happen. So uh, and going back to that other idea about the Mountain West and Conference USA, I thought that was a fantastic idea at the time. I realized it was really more to hold off the the Big East from really plucking some of their programs and maybe to an extent that actually ended up working. But uh, it's a shame that that was something that kind of fell apart. It was kind of like, I don't know if you guys remember a couple years back, the Big Ten and the Pac-10 had a a scheduling agreement that looked like it was going to be really cool for the regular season, but then that fell apart uh, when the Pac-12 wanted to go with, I think, the nine-game conference schedule or something like that. So that's another thing that I think would have been really fun to watch. And, you know, unfortunately, I don't know if we'll ever get to see it. A couple last things here because we've already taken so much of your time. Just staying with this topic, and you can be brief on this one as you want because I know we've kind of beaten this subject to death. (laughs) But there's another side of this that I've always found curious, and that's when you talk about these major conferences and sort of big five status – I've always found it humorous if if you were to stick with the the Boise states and Fresno states of the world when people say, yeah, we played a power five opponent and you look on the schedule, you find out that it's Kansas. And yet somehow, because of the fact that Kansas is in a league uh, with a bunch of other teams that beat the hell out of them on a regular basis, uh, that is somehow then given more status than beating, say, like when Ole Miss beat Boise State. I, I, why, why do some of the, I, I mean, I, it's, it's just a good old boys club, right? That's why they stay with some of these schools, because if it were pure football reasons, you have to think that some of these guys from power five conferences would be getting dropped in favor of uh, programs like Fresno and Boise, right? Yeah, and let's let's not forget, uh, there is more to the whole college football conference makeups than just football. I mean, Kansas is obviously a very good basketball school too. <laughs> let's not forget, completely forget about. But yeah, I mean, I, I always found sport. the con- Yeah, I believe they did. So I I always thought it was kind of strange that we're looking at victories against Kansas and Purdue as you know significant power conference wins. But I guess when you when 
when you look at it, you're really just talking about your resume and you're looking at all the, the positives you can get out of your resume. I mean, when you want to pinpoint the highlights of your year, you're going to say, hey, yeah, we beat a Big 12 team. We beat a Big 10 team. You know, leave it to someone else to do a little bit extra research on which Big 12 team you actually beat because you're just worried about showcasing what you did, uh, making your argument for inclusion in maybe that New Year's Six at the end of the year. Um, you know, obviously Kansas is not a really good football school at all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but I still feel like if you can go on the road and you can win in a power conference stadium, it's still something you get to brag about, even if you're a superior team. It's still something I think you, you're allowed to brag about for a little bit. And, um, you know, obviously you'll leave it up to everybody else to judge just how valuable that win is. Yeah, it's like I always say, tell them you graduated summa cum laude. Don't tell them you majored in ultimate reality. Like, let them look that up on their own and then find out what that means. Um, Just with these two last questions, you're staying on track from, from the playoff. Uh, You mentioned these New Year's Six games, and we saw Boise State crack that. Uh, Though I might argue, and and this was interesting to me, the way that it played out toward the end of the year. Boise State, in the Mountain West in general, unless it had been Fresno State, a lot of people were talking about Colorado State at that time. But I thought it was really interesting that it was like people were waiting for Marshall to lose so that they could put Boise State in there uh, ahead of them. You're talking about a group of five, at least that's how they're measured. But Marshall, by all rights, never really stood a shot of making that New Year's Day game, despite the fact that, in theory, they should have been on equal crappy conference footing with Boise State. Like, if you know, to, to borrow modern phraseology, like if if that's really what you're saying, that all group of five schools are equal – is there a problem when one conference in the group of five is being inherently viewed, maybe one or two conferences are being inherently viewed as superior even throughout the year? Uh, you're actually kind of breaking up on me. I think I got the gist of the, the question there. Um, you know, I, I don't think we can view each conference on level ground. Uh, I don't think that's true of power conferences. I don't think that's true of the group of five conferences. Like I, I think I said earlier, uh, the Mountain West is right now number one. I don't think there's much, much doubt about it when you're talking about these group of five conferences. Conference USA is way down there. It's a conference that has been ripped up some of its top programs over the last few years. Uh, it's a conference that has brought in some relatively new and upcoming programs. And it's a conference that I think is banking more on long-term growth with, from within the conference than it is trying to establish dominance right away. Uh, I th- I've said that from the beginning. I think Conference USA is banking on these programs growing and really developing in the future. Like They're looking 10 years down the road. They're not necessarily ready to compete head-to-head with anybody else right now. Um, and as far as Marshall's concerned, that's kind of an unfortunate situation for them. Uh, but that's the reality. I mean, not every conference is equal. And not every team is going to have a, a record, you know, they're going 12-0 and in Conference USA is not the same as going 12-0 in the Mountain West. Uh, I don't even think it's the same as going 11-1 and as a Mountain West Conference member. I, I really feel that there's that much of a difference between uh, Mountain West and Conference USA. Uh, like I said, if I had to rank all the conferences right now, Mountain West clearly number one, American uh, of confident number two. And then after that, I go Mac. Probably Conference USA and then Sun Belt. I don't know. I would probably flip them depending on which day you ask me, but that's me. I mean, no, we know no Sun Belt's coming in ground. last, though, right? We yeah. know they're coming in last. <laughs> it's a toss up. Again, t- top to bottom, you probably go Sun Belt last, but yeah, Georgia Southern, they're, they're not to mess with. Yeah, they were seriously an impressive team last year. That, that, was, that was some really good. And you know what? You know that, well, I don't want to discount what Fuentes did it at. Uh, um, Memphis, too, as long as we're talking about crappy Conference USA squads. So uh, Memphis, I think, under Fuentes had, had a really impressive run last year. Uh, getting you out of here on an actual playoff question, then, if you have the Mountain West as number one, uh, pretty much for the foreseeable future, and I realize that this could change based on a variety of different circumstances and people just have to use common sense uh, when when applying those circumstances, but generally speaking – is it? Uh, would it be a foregone conclusion that the Mountain West would get that New Year's Day invite bid more often than not? 
moving forward? Are, are, do you do you see the Mountain West as sort of being the sixth, the unofficial sixth man of the group of five, if you will? <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying, and I, I do feel more often than not the Mountain West Conference is going to grab that uh, lucrative group of five spot in that New Year's Six. Uh, I think I said earlier the. The only the closest challenger, I think, is the American Conference. Uh, I think that there are some good programs there, and I think that there are some programs that are ready to make some changes. Uh, Houston, SMU, I think, are going to start turning things around with their new head coaches. Can we talk about Diogo's um, trophy for like 0.2 seconds. Can can we spend a half a <laughs> second to talk about what the hell UConn is doing? Like for those who don't know, do you want to explain this situation? Because I feel like if I leave something out, I'm doing the idiocy of it all a great disservice. <laughs> Yeah, real quick. Uh, UConn's head coach, Bob Diaco, former Notre Dame assistant, uh, he has decided to make Central Florida UConn's number one rival. Unbeknownst to UCF, they created a trophy and named it, and they've got a rivalry going now with uh, the UCF Knights, and UCF is just like, eh, if you say so, okay, <laughs> we'll see what happens. So I think it would be fantastic if they play this year. UCF wins the game. Uh, they're given the trophy, and they just forget about it, leave it on the field, because that's what they think of this rivalry. And I think that that actually, right there, could spark a rivalry for years to come that will be going down in the storybooks for years. Not really, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun to talk about. You certainly would have to think about that before they tossed it on the ground, wouldn't they? Like, the, the simple act of doing so would, in essence, sort of be like the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. Like, the consequences could be <laughs> unforeseen and vast. Um, all right, uh, Kevin, man, you, you have been awesome. And, and I would be remiss if I, if I didn't ask the one nerd question that was sent in by one of our listeners, and I can promise you it has nothing to do with football, but one of our listeners retro would like to know, uh, what is the airspeed velocity, the uh, airspeed velocity of an unladen European swallow? Um, so big questions from our listeners on the Monty Python front. (laughs) And I and I know this answer, and I, I actually I, I I know exactly what it was from, and now and now I, I I'm speechless. I I don't remember, so I'll, maybe I'll have to look that up later. Hey Josh, well, uh, yeah, I, yes. I, I do. I had one more question because uh, oh, I I sure. really wanted to get Kevin's opinion about the Australian Bowl. Um, I know it's something. Oh, yeah, good I, it's, call. it's something. You know, Josh and I, I have our this. opinions about it. We, I, I want to get your take on this. Uh, Was there what, a reason to schedule that stupid thing, like an agreement between the Pac-12 and the Mountain West to play in a game that's over 8,000 miles away? Like, did that make sense on any planet? And is there a reason that college football is doing this? Why? <laughs> Why are we doing this? Exactly. The reason is because it will be put on national TV. <laughs> it will get the Pac-12 across the Pacific Ocean into a, a new market, uh, as well as the Mountain West. And, uh, you know, Larry Scott likes to try new things. So that's what he was brought into the Pac-12 to do, to try and expand that Pac-12 brand. And he has tried to make some waves with getting the Pac-12 into Asia. Uh, maybe Australia is that next step in the plan. But ultimately, to get back to the main point of the question, no, there's absolutely no reason there should be a game played in Australia, uh, at least not anytime soon. You know, maybe try it one year, see what happens. But I can't imagine it's going to go very far beyond the one year. Yeah, and that's uh, if next they, year, if they it? even get that put on the field. It's a, it's, it's, it's a done deal. It's supposed to be scheduled, yeah, I believe, yeah, either I next year. Brett McMurphy announced it. Yeah. It's, it's a next year deal. They've next already year. got payouts scheduled and a, an agreement in place and yeah, everything. They're just so, trying well, to figure out the well, whole logistics of it now. If Brett McMurphy says it's a done deal, it's a done deal. <laughs> Kevin, man, you you are an absolute wealth of knowledge, and and I thank you for loaning us much time. Here's your here's your chance to tell our listeners if you have anything coming up that that you've been working on, maybe any exposés or any projects, uh, or where they can find you on Twitter or get in contact you, get with you. Well, well, well. First of all, guys, thank you so much for inviting me on. It was a it was a blast. Hopefully, we can do it again sometime. Uh, and for anyone who is unaware of who I am, you can feel free to check me out on Twitter at Kevin on CFB. I share all the links to anything I have going on. I'm always talking college football all year round. There is no off season here, and uh, I highly encourage anyone to interact, uh, reach out, ask some questions. You know, we'll talk some college football anytime you want. Uh, you can 
check me out at NBCSports.com's uh, College Football Talk. Uh, it's like Pro Football Talk, but we talk college football, of course. And uh, I've got my own little blog and podcast at No2MinuteWarning.com. That's the number two. I'm going to be kicking up some uh, preview coverage of my own on a conference-by-conference basis. I'll have the Mountain West coming up in a few weeks. Uh, so if you want to check that out, I highly encourage you to do that and hopefully get some feedback. Let me know what you guys think. Yeah, definitely. And be sure to uh, toss us a link with that and we can share your Mountain West preview with our listeners uh, who definitely enjoyed this podcast, man. Thank you so much, man. I know it's late in Pennsylvania, but I also know you're probably just going to go sit on Twitter and see what you've missed. So (laughs) I would say I kept you from something, but I know that I probably didn't. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. I probably did. Uh, But thank you so much. Man, and anything you ever need from us similarly, just let us know and we will be there for you. Mountain West previews and all. Yep. (laughs) Sounds great, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Well, Josh, that was a very informative podcast uh, with Kevin there. I I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, it's not too often that that, that we – get the ability to talk at length about sort of the national perception of where Fresno State's at, what the program's moving toward, and and, and how it's viewed across the land. I mean, we sort of have a myopic perspective here, being from the Valley, monitoring the program the way that we do from inside. And I think it's always good to sort of take a step back and, and get somebody else's uh, opinion uh, who's not necessarily as close to the project as you are, and, and none better than that than Kevin um, Certainly a very entertaining follow on Twitter. For those of you who do not follow him on Twitter, do so. Um, I think we pretty much hit the nail on the head for this podcast, didn't we? There's really nothing left to talk about. I know we have some some camp coverage to discuss, and we can get into that at a different time. Uh, but I don't feel like that's the tenor of this episode. Yeah, so, this uh, this is what this episode was all about. I mean, uh, we have, of course, you know, we got the stadium upgrades. We've got those camps. But we can save that for another episode. Um, yeah, that's 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 a whole different diatribe. Yeah, and me. I know I know this this episode actually was supposed to be a baseball episode, but due to scheduling difficulties, Josh and I had to reschedule that one. So uh, you know, just stay tuned. We'll we'll get more baseball back up there again. Yeah, we're gonna have more with Shotgun later. He he, I'm sure he will explain his fantastic journey to the college baseball <laughs> World Series in Omaha. Yeah, from what uh, I hear, so it was, it was much, an adventure. It, was, it wasn't too it wasn't too dissimilar from my experience of moving to Detroit, Michigan from Costa Mesa, California back in the early 2000s. It went about as well. Um, so, you know, on that note, man, I, I, I don't think there's really much else. So I feel like we can wrap up this episode and just say that if you have any questions or concerns, shoot us an email, stop by the site, post on the boards. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Fight on Twist, or you can find us on Scout at BarkBoard.com. Um, or uh, uh, scout.com slash Fresno, I believe they altered the link to. I don't know. Type in barkboard.com and then remember that other link. Yeah. Uh, but they <laughs> never can't keep. They, they changed the whole new links to this scout thing, and I actually think it's for the better, but I, I also haven't familiarized myself completely with the new format. But I think I got it right. Yeah, they completely uh, redesigned the whole website. So it's it's it's, it's pretty really neat like to it. look at. It's, it's really nice, especially on an iPad. It comes up really nice on an iPad. Mm-hmm. It really does. Um, But you can also follow us on Twitter at BarkBoard or at BarkBoard Scout. Uh, And I feel like we should mention our great buddy Jackson uh, Moore, who has been kind of busy lately, but he will be back around and we'll be back on some of these podcasts soon enough. We're just filling in for him while he is handling some stuff. So, as always, thank you for listening and we will catch you next time on the Red Wave Report.